Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 14, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, there are times when we have our studies and I wish, 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 wish I could speak to certain groups of people. Sometimes, you know, it's uh, 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 the men. Sometimes it's the women. Sometimes it's married people. Sometimes it's, you know, college age. Sometimes it's the old people. Sometimes it's pastors. Sometimes it's elders. Sometimes it's worship leaders, but in this particular study, I wish, 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 I wish I could speak to the young people, the young people, my younger brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, say for, you know, for my younger brothers and sisters who are under age 20, we'll say, because remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our prior studies, how, yes, it is absolutely true. The Bible does teach us to honor parents. It's very important. Yes, we have to honor our parents. It is pleasing to the Lord. This is a good thing. But remember, the Bible never teaches us to honor parents more than God. You see, and it's just like Eli the priest. Remember Eli the priest in our earlier chapters here in 1 Samuel. Remember, he honored his sons more than God. Now look, he's dead. You see, and then the opposite can be true when kids honor parents more than God. You see, never, 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 never do that. Never. It's very true. You know, honor our parents. Very true. Very important for my young brothers, for my young sisters, especially teenage uh, teenagers, because at that age, you can grasp certain things. You can understand certain things better than, say, like a five-year-old, you know, better than like a 40-year-old. You know, when you're a teenager, you can grasp certain things, but even still, sometimes there's more understanding to be had, a depth of understanding. And so, yes, we are to honor our parents, but never, never, never honor parents more than God. We are to honor the Lord, you see? And sometimes parents, they attempt to circumvent honor that is due the Lord, you know, 100% honor due to the Lord, you see. And you know what happens in those cases, oftentimes it causes a little one to stumble. And that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And I, I, you know, I, I, I dare say that oftentimes it causes a little one to stumble, but at the same time, maybe 100% of the time. Very important for parents to make sure when you have kids, make sure that your kids, yes, they honor you, but at the same time, never honor you more than the Lord. You see, that's a big deal. And for kids, it's very common for kids to think, you know, that the parents are always right, but that's not the case. That's not always the case. They can be right, but they can also be wrong. And so in this study here in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, You know, this isn't an encouragement to teenagers exclusively, you know, because we have to include even the littlest of ones, because especially nowadays as little children, even little children are being desensitized into certain evils and they're spreading, they're spreading rapidly. And so little children, like, you know, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, when they're teaching sex education to four-year-olds, little kids have to understand these things as well. You see, and so for my teenage brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, remember the rugby match from our study in Romans? Remember our rugby match? You know, it's not to look down on, you know, the little kids. It's not to look down on them, but to understand that, hey, we're in a rugby match. You know, young, old, it doesn't matter. We journey together in Christ, you see. And these very present evils that we see today, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And for parents, 
Never, ever, ever usurp the honor that is fully due unto the Lord. Never do that. If you do that, that's not just evil. That's not just evil. The door for God's judgment is opened. And that's a door. We have to keep that closed. But as a result of choices, sometimes certain doors become open. You see, and so for parents, if you've taken honor away from the Lord and your kids honor you more than God, listen, I love you, parents, mama and papa, I love you, but you need to repent. You need to repent big time because the door of God's judgment being opened, listen, that's no small thing. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And so for kids, my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, you might be a teenager, you might be younger. If you have parents that are, that they are in fact usurping honor away from the Lord or attempting to, and they're doing that with you, understand what's happening. Understand what's happening. And you still give honor and glory to the, and praise. It's always to the Lord. But then what do you do? You pray for your parents. Pray for mama. Pray for papa. You see? And be a witness to your parents. And so for teenagers too, you know, teenagers, my younger brothers and sisters, I love you, but don't throw anything in your parents' face. Don't throw it in, in their face at all. Because remember, you yourself, you cannot be a hypocrite. You cannot be a hypocrite, you see? And as a teenager, you still got a lot of learning to do. You still have more to go in terms of deeper things to understand, deeper things to master, you see? And so why do we bring this up? It's like, wait a second, you know, we're supposed to be in chapter 14. He's talking about, you know, parents and kids and teenagers and little ones. Why do we bring this up? Because remember you and me in this study in 1 Samuel, we have this pre-knowledge, this pre-knowledge that things aren't going to turn out so well for Israel under the leadership of King Saul. And so last week, remember, we already learned that King Saul, he already knows that his rule is temporary. And in this marathon, the Lord is still pleading with Saul. The Lord is still pleading with Israel. Very important. To, to, if you haven't listened to the study called the marathon, very important. Go and listen to that study called the marathon. Very important. Because it's going to help you underst understand certain things that are happening in this marathon of King Saul. In this marathon of Israel. Those who follow King Saul. Very important. And we've seen a little bit already, and we're going to see more of it, where this chasm, this chasm between father and son, chasm between parent and child, chasm between King Saul and his son, Jonathan. Very important to understand. So we give this exhortation to my young brothers, my young sisters in Christ, whom I love. You might be five years old. You might be eight years old. You might be 10 years old. You might be 13. You might be 14. You might be 17. You might be 19. And you too, as a believer, you see like, wow, there's this chasm. There's this, you know, like my mom and dad, they do this, they behave like this. And, you know, there's a disconnect with what you read in the Bible. And it's like, wait a second, the Bible says this and mama's doing that. And the Bible says this and papa's doing that. And sometimes kids, it's very difficult to understand like, well, what's happening? And so last week, we see how Saul, he took credit for something his son did. Remember the battle with the garrison? And we see these certain behavior traits in dear old dad. And we see these behavior traits in King Saul and things that are just off. Inconducive with the ways of righteousness. And what's going to happen in King Saul is going to get worse. 
it's gonna get worse and worse and worse. And we'll also see how behavior traits can trickle to children. Behavior traits can trickle into peoples. But behavior traits don't always trickle to children. And we're going to see that in his son, Jonathan. And it's kind of a struggle. You know, it's kind of a struggle where you're going to see kind of like Jonathan. He's like, you know, do I honor dad or do I not honor dad? You know, and it's sad because there are major consequences. And these are things that we're going to see played out through the chapters. And, you know, don't get me wrong. If dad himself were submitting to the Lord, if King Saul were submitting to the Lord, it would have made things much easier, so much easier for Jonathan, for his son. Not just easier in terms of having an easy life, but easier in terms of learning the right way so that his son could know the ways of righteousness. But remember, Papa, he has to make his own choice. You see, dad's got to make his own choice. And, you know, it's still sad if, you know, if, 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 if dad, if King Saul, if he makes choices for himself, yes, that's still sad because he's making these choices for himself that are inconducive with the, ra- the, the ways of righteousness. But when there are kids involved, you see, a family involved, a people, a nation, a church congregation, remember, leadership matters. Leadership matters. And so it's one thing if, you know, the leader in here in King Saul, it's one thing if King Saul makes these choices that are poor, choices that are not good. It's one thing if he makes those choices for himself. But what about when he has a family? You see, what about when he has a family in submission to him? You see, kids in submission to him, a nation, a people. And you say, well, that's just Old Testament. Well, it happens with pastors too. You see, see, the Bible teaches us that, yes, it's a beautiful thing to submit to the pastor. But where is the pastor that watches out for your soul? You see, very important to understand. Or yes, if the, if the leader wants to make these choices, okay, that's bad on him. And it's still sad, but it's amplified many times over because the devastation isn't just on him. The devastation is en masse. You see, it's on the people. Look at Korah. Yeah, if Korah, if Korah wants to behave in this manner, if Korah wants to think in the ways he does, if he wants to respond that way, that's one thing for Korah. But what about those who yield to Korah, those who heed Korah? What happened to them? They're dead. Remember the earth opened up? Men, women, young children, everything. Old people, Korah himself, the earth opened up and, hey, say goodnight. Very important to understand formula, this holy recipe that we get from the word of God because the Lord teaches us and shows us the recipe that's in you and me. It's got to be right. And the recipe for fellowship, the recipe for overseers, the Lord teaches us. And for everyone listening, male, female, young, old, listen, we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. And prophetically speaking, there are many Christs, just as our Lord warned us. We follow the biblical Jesus. Very important. And so let's begin our study here. Now, remember what happened last week in our study in chapter 13. At the end of chapter 13, we see how there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul. Remember our study last week, how we ended? 
But they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass at Michmash. That's where we ended last week. We're, we're at the precipice of battle. We're at the precipice of battle. A garrison of the opposing force, they assemble. They're at the pass of Michmash. Uh, uh, and, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves too much, but let's look at, you know, here in verse 2. We're going to start in verse 2 in 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 2. We're just going to start there just for a moment. And so in verse 2, And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Megron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. So let's just look at this landscape. Let's just analyze things a little bit. We're at the precipice of battle. Remember, last week, or Israel, were, you know, it, the, the, the people, they were in straight-up terror. They were full terror. They were terrified at the amassing Philistine army. And now what's happening? The garrison of the Philistines, they've assembled at the pass of Michmash. And where we ended last week, we see. And then uh, 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 King Saul, you know, what's happening with King Saul? He's sitting under the pomegranate tree. And there are only two, two people with swords, Saul and his son, Jonathan. Remember where we ended last week or, you know, the, the, the rules that were imposed by the Philistines on the, on the uh, uh, blacksmiths? And so we just lay things out, how we're at the precipice of battle. And then now let's start in verse 1. Now it happened, verse 1, now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine, the Philistine's garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Now remember, Jonathan, last week in our study in chapter, 14, uh, chapter 13, Jonathan was already victorious in the last battle with the garrison, something that his dad took credit for. Remember the certain behavior traits like, wow, that's, that's a little bit off. And in the ways conducive with righteousness, that's a little bit off, King Saul, where he takes credit for his son's victory. But now there's another garrison of the Philistines, and this time it's a secret mission. It's a secret mission. He's not that Jonathan. He's not telling his dad. And remember, his dad is king. He's not telling. He tells his armor bearer, hey, let's go. Yeah, let's. And I like that. I like that a lot. Why? Because two men team. Two men team. That's it. Not nothing huge. Nothing like, you know, grandiose. It's just, hey, you and me, let's go handle business. You see? And so we get to verse two here. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. So we get this overlay, this, this you know, what the, the landscape of, you know, certain things that are happening. Now let's look at verse three. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Remember, we have this lineage where we studied. Remember Ichabod, where, you know, the, uh, 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 in the previous chapters, we've seen, remember, Ichabod, the son of Phineas. Remember Phineas, the son of Eli. Remember Eli, the priest, who honored his sons more than the Lord. The priest, in the, the Lord's priest in Shiloh was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Remember, it's a secret mission. The two-man team. It's on the down low. They didn't, they didn't reveal, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna leave the camp and we'll be back in a little bit. No, they just they just took off. And so we see in verse 14, or in verse 4 here, chapter 14, verse 4. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sena. 
Now, remember where we ended in chapter 13, the Philistine garrison? They're at the pass of Michmash. And so Jonathan, he's now going to them, him and the armor bear, two men team, just two people. Jonathan, armor bear. And it's a mountainous region and there's a mountainous passageway. And how it translates in the Hebrew is it's a sharp rock here. That's it, it, how it translates. It's like a, a sharp cliff, a sharp cliff. And one side is called Bozes. The other side is called Sena. Now look, look what happens in verse five. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash the, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. So picture like a diagonal valley you see and you're not like a valley with a small slope on the sides remember it's a steep cliff of rocks straight up like you know just major cliffs but you see like this little valley you know and you see that the one direction is pointed northward the other is southward southward and so remember we're in close proximity to the garrison of Philistines. And that's an understatement. We're very close. We're super close. We're ultra close to the garrison of the Philistines. And it's just a two-man team. It's just a two-man team. King Saul, no, he's at, you know, with the pomegranate tree, you see? And so this two-man team, you know, Jonathan just straight up said, hey, let's go handle business. Let's go, let's go on our recon. Let's go recon. And so you have this two-man team. And then you see in verse six, verse six, look what happens here. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. I like Jonathan. <laughs> by few. You see? Now remember, Jonathan, he's not speaking to like a vast military force. He's not speaking to like, you know, a, 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 a battalion of people. No, he's speaking to his armor bear. You see, just two people, Jonathan and his armor bear, just the two. And there's certain unknowns here too, because Jonathan just, he, he, he says flat out, he just says, you know, it may be that the Lord will work for us. You see? It may be that the Lord will work for us. Now, what he says to the very best of war tacticians, it's foolishness. It's foolishness to the very best of combat tacticians. But what Jonathan speaks is true. What Jonathan speaks is true. Because the Lord can absolutely save by many or by few. Now, remember, in the Old Testament, we kind of touched on this last week and even in our Sunday study, it just so happens, it just so happens, where we see sword of the flesh, but as new covenant believers, we also see sword of the spirit. You see, it's very important to understand in light of who has weapons here in 1 Samuel chapter 14, because the weapons are with Saul and Jonathan. Remember, there was, there was the uh, restrictions placed by the Philistines and the restrictions placed on the blacksmiths, you see, not to arm the Hebrew people, because if they were armed, they would be a threat on the Philistines, you see. So there were rules imposed on the on the blacksmiths. Hey, you know, don't make their weapon. You can, you know, sharpen tools and stuff. But hey, swords, spears, no, don't make that for the Hebrew people because it would be a threat on the Philistines, you see. And so, you know, the ones with weapons are Saul and Jonathan. And then also, you know, Jonathan here in, 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 in the, on this recon mission, mission, it's Jonathan and the armor bearer, just two. 
And so Jonathan says, hey, let's go to the garrison. Remember, there's this unknown. You know, it might be that the Lord will work for us. Now, you'd think the armor bearer was, you know, hey, you're crazy. You know, Jonathan, you know, you're out of your mind. We're outnumbered. You know, we're just two people. Hey, let's go back to the camp. You would think that the armor bearer would say that. But look what happens in verse 7. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. Now it's very true. It's very true that it is dangerous to follow hearts. Because remember, the Bible does tell us the heart is desperately wicked. The heart of men is wicked. That's what the Bible teaches us. But what happens when a heart is so rendered to the Lord? What do you think is inside of that heart? I mean, if you and me, say you and me, we were to go back in time, we get in my time machine, you and me, we get in my time machine, we go back in time, and we meet a pastor by the name of Jimenez. Hey, Jimenez, how you doing? He says, hey, nice to meet you. Hey, I'm a pastor, he tells us. And we say, okay, you're a pastor. We're going to submit to you because the Bible says we submit to the pastors. We're going to submit to you, Pastor Jimenez. We're going to submit ourselves to you, Pastor Jimenez. And then Pastor Jimenez says, hey, you know what? Let's go do this. Now, if we were to say, hey, we're with you, Jimenez. We're with you, Pastor Jimenez, according to your heart. You see, that can't happen. That can't happen. Because Jimenez, wrong formula. Wrong formula. We're with you, Jimenez. Listen, that can happen because the Bible tells us which pastors are safe. Now, let's take a similar example. Say, instead of meeting Pastor Jimenez, we get in my time machine, we go back in time, and we meet a particular individual by the name of Paul. And we say, hey, Paul, you know, how are you? He says, who are you? You know. So we meet him, and, you know, we have our, you know, introductions. We say hi, you know, and get acclimated with one another and then we say wow pastor or you know paul we're going to submit to you as pastor pastor paul we're going to submit ourselves to you because we understand formula and then what if pastor paul says hey let's go do this and if we were to respond and say pastor paul we're with you according to your heart now it is safe you see now it's not to deify paul it's not to deify timothy but understand that Paul, Timothy, Titus, Onesimus, vessels of the Lord in whom the formula is right. Just like when, when Paul would read Titus, you know, when Paul says, hey, Titus, I want you to go here. And this is what I want you to do. Is Titus in the wrong to say, hey, Paul, I'm on board. Is Titus in the wrong? Not at all. Because we look at the formula, that holy recipe. We look at the formula of Titus, that holy recipe. And we see a work of the Lord. You see, not a work of Paul, not a work of Titus, not a work of Timothy, a work of the Lord. The humans, they're vessels. They're vessels, you see. And so you and me, if we were to say, hey, Pastor Jimenez, you know, according to your heart, hey, we're on board. No, that's dangerous. That's dangerous for you and me. That is wrong. That is disobedience. Why? Hey, Jimenez, crazy town. You see, he's straight up crazy town. But if we were to say, hey, Paul, we're on board. We're on board. Are we in the wrong? No. Why? 
formula's right. That holy recipe. You see? Is it a work of Paul? No, it's a work of the Lord. The humans, just vessels. That's it. Just the vessels. Conduits. That's it. And praise be to the Lord because the Lord teaches us. He shows us these things. And church leadership in the last days, it's already happening. But it's going to happen even more. Church leadership, it's going to be exposed big time in the last days. It's already happening. And we're going to see more as we get further into the events of the last days. And what's going to be left standing? It's the remnant. That's what's going to be left standing, the remnant. You see? I mean, put yourself in the arm, the, the armor bearer of Jonathan. Put yourself in his sandals. Where first Jonathan says, you know, hey, let, you know, let's you and me go to the garrison of the Philistines. You see? Now, to go, to actually go, that requires a break from the norm. Because remember, like, say, for example, you and me, we put ourselves in the sandals of the, of the, uh, 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 of the armor bearer. And here we are, we're, you know, Saul's over there. We see the pomegranate tree. We see Saul over there. Okay, you know, he's in the distance. And we're relative safety. We're with the, the masses. And then Jonathan says, hey, let's go, let's go over here. Let's go check out the garrison. And for me and you to be on board with that, we have to break from the norm. We have to break from the masses of these people. You see? And not just that. You know, hey, Jonathan, your dad is king. And he's not going to like that. We better stay here. You see? And now what we see with the armor bear, we see this. And not just the armor bear, but with Jonathan too. But he's kind of the, the you know, for this particular passage, we see that we kind of see like a shift in leadership. Grant, it's at the micro level because it's just two people. But there's a shift. And the armor bearer just straight up says, hey, I'm on board, Jonathan. I'm on board. Just two people. Just two people. It's not like a, a huge, mighty army. It's just two people. And I like that. I love that so much. Because sometimes we can kind of get ourselves in a funk where it's just like, man, you know, we're just 10 people. We're just 12 people. What can we do? We're just 10 people. What can we do? We're just five people. What can we do? We're just two people. What can we do? What about eight? What about if it's just you? And you're like, hey, it's just me. What can I do? You see? But that's the wrong way of thinking. Because when our focus is on the Lord, it's like, wow, Lord, what is impossible for you? I'll give you the answer. Nothing. Because, I mean, you know, the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. What is impossible for the Lord? You see? Wow, we're just, we're just 12 people. That's nice. What's impossible for the Lord? We're just five people. Okay. What's impossible for the Lord? We're just two people. What's impossible for the Lord? And so it's so beautiful and hardcore to see like the armor bear here just, hey, I'm on board according to your heart. And that's very, 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 very dangerous. Very dangerous to say to somebody, hey, let's go. According to your heart, let's go. 
And we look at Jimenez, Pastor Jimenez. Hey, according to your heart, I'm on board. Let's go. No, we're in the wrong when that happens. Why? Jimenez, wrong formula. He calls himself pastor. He's got the pastor parking spot. All these things. Hey, but wrong formula. You see? But then Paul says, hey, let's do this. And according to your heart, Paul, we're on board. You see? Why is that safe? They say the exact same thing. Both are pastors. You take Jimenez, you take Paul. Both are pastors. You see? But they, and they both say the same thing. You know, hey, let's go do this. They both are pastors. They both say the same exact thing. You know, hey, let's go do this. But when you and me say, hey, Jimenez, we're on board. Pastor Jimenez, Pastor H, we're on board. We're disobedient. Why? Wrong formula. The Bible doesn't say. The Bible says, Jimenez, wrong formula. Do not submit. You see? But then for Paul, we say, hey, we're on board. Why? Look at the heart of Paul. Look at his heart. Crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. Remember, that's Paul that says that. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And a lot of times Christians, they misapply the scriptures. And a lot of times Christians say, hey, look, I am crucified with Christ. It's not to say that we can't apply that to our lives. But in order to be crucified with Christ, we got to be dead. You and me, we got to be dead. We got to reckon the old man dead. We got to reckon the old woman dead. If you're my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, we got to reckon the old boy dead. We got to reckon the old girl to be dead. And when that happens, then you are crucified with Christ. As we carry our cross, the very instrument of death. You see? Sometimes you see Christians, oh, you know, look, I'm crucified with Christ. Come on, let's go get baked tonight. I'm crucified with Christ. Let's go to the strippers tonight. I'm crucified with Christ. Let's go to the casino tonight. Hey, I don't see crucifixion, brother. You want to go to the casino? I don't see crucifixion, sister. You see? And so we look at the heart of Paul. And for you and me, we hit in my time machine for you and me. And it's like, hey, Paul, we're on board. It is safe, you see. And we see an Old Testament example of that here with Jonathan, where Jonathan is like, you know, we see this breakaway from Papa. We see this detachment from his dad, King Saul, you see. And for the armor bearer, you see a shift in leadership because the armor bearer could say, hey, Jonathan, we're not on board because, hey, I got to submit to the king. But we see this shift in leadership. It's like, wait, you know, Jonathan, hey, I'm on board. I'm on board. Remember these behavior traits that we see in King Saul? It's like, wait, that's a, that's off. You know, for him to take credit, like, well, that's off. And we've, we've seen it already. And we're going to see it even more. We're going to see it progress exponentially. These behavior traits of Saul. And you're going to see an Old Testament example. You're going to see Saul quench the spirit. So you're going to see Saul quench the spirit. You're going to see Saul extinguish the spirit of the Lord. Remember, he has a couple chapters ago, he has the spirit. The spirit of the Lord is with him. But we're going to see him quench the spirit, extinguish the spirit. And as that happens, you're going to see these behavior traits along the way like, hey, that's off. 
hey, that's off. And then you're going to see the shift in leadership of like, like we see here, the armor bear saying, hey, I'm on board. I'm on board with you, Jonathan. You see, very important to understand what's happening here, especially as we understand formula, that holy recipe. And so in verse seven, the armor bear, so his armor bear says, said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you according to your heart. So beautiful. Just two. That's it. I'm with you. All that is in your heart here. I'm on board. Here I am. I'm with you according to your heart. And Jonathan in verse eight, Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. I mean, you talk, you know, for my Hebrew friends, you talk about chutzpah. That's an understatement. That's a major understatement because, you know, you know, look at the plan. You know, the, the plan isn't like, you know, okay, we're going to go sneak over here. We're going to go on a recon mission and we're going to low crawl over here. You know, no, it's just straight up. We're going to show ourselves to them. You see, let us cross in verse eight. Let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to these. And again, the armor bearer could be like, nope, you know, hey, we do that. We're going to die. As soon as we, as, as, you know, as soon as, as soon as we reveal ourselves, we're going to get an arrow right in the chest. And the armor bearer could be like, nope, I'm out, you know, eject, eject, I'm out, abort mission, I'm out of here. You're crazy, Jonathan. No, but that doesn't happen. So beautiful. Because the armor bearer, hey, I'm with you. I'm on board, just two. I'm with you. And so look what happens here in verse 9. If they say to, this is Jonathan speaking, if they say thus to us, wait until we come to you. Then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. In verse 10, but if they say to us, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be a sign to us. Remember verse six, Jonathan, he says, Jonathan just straight up says, nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Remember our Sunday study? It just so happens, it just so happens. Where Jesus straight up tells the disciples, whatever you ask, hey, it's yours. Whatever you ask, it's yours. You see? And we understand formula. Holy formula, holy recipe. In our, in our Sunday study, we even reflect back to our, to our study in James, how James says, hey, to, speaking to Christians, hey, you ask, but you don't receive because you ask amiss. The problem's not the Lord. The problem's not the prayer. The problem, it's you guys. You adulterers and adulteresses, James says to Christians. Wrong formula. That's why you don't receive. That's why you ask and have not. That's why you ask and don't receive. The problem's not the Lord. The problem's not prayer. The problem's you. You see, that's what James says to Christians. And just as we see with King Saul, well, wow, that's just, that's off. Remember last week in, in, in chapter 13, it's like, what's this? That's off. We also see something different about Jonathan, his son. Yes, his dad is King Saul. And yes, he has a, a DNA profile that links him to a carnal lineage. But that's outside of Adam. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's according to Adam. According to Adam, he has a DNA profile that, yes, you know, Saul is your dad. 
But there's another lineage. Another lineage. And there's something different about Jonathan. And for my young brothers and sisters in Christ, it's the same with you. You have a DNA profile that links you to a carnal lineage. But there's a better profile. And that's the profile of faith. That links you to the better lineage. And that's the blood of Christ that flows through our spiritual veins. You see? And sometimes, you know, for my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes I have these talks with kids. And kids are often confused. Because kids can see, well, you know what? The Bible says this, but mama does that. The Bible says this, but papa does that. And kids can very easily see these disconnects. When mom behaves this way and dad behaves this way, kids can very easily see these disconnects, especially with teenagers. But oftentimes with kids, there's the difficulty in understanding why there's a disconnect. And there are multiple reasons why. But it ultimately boils down to choice. You see, the choice of mama, the choice of papa. And then also your choice for my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, your choice. You see, because in a home, who honors the Lord and who doesn't? And for my young brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not always the parents. A lot of times kids assume that to be the case, but it's not always the case. It's not always the parents. And sometimes parents get very, very mad at me. Hey, you're breaking up my family. You're breaking up my family. But then to go to the parent and say, hey, not at all. That's not happening. You're breaking up your family. How? By placing the family of Adam over the family of God. You see? Remember Matthew 10. Our Lord teaches us. If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through the book of Matthew. But in Matthew 10, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And parents, I love you. I'm just the messenger. It's what the Bible teaches. And parents are very indignant sometimes. Oh, you're breaking up my family. You're breaking up my family. You're breaking up my family. Hey, you want to go do crack? You want your son to go buy your drugs? Hey, you're breaking up the family of God, the family of faith. You want to go to the strip club with your son? You want your daughter to go buy your cocaine? You see? It doesn't work that way. You're the one that's breaking up the, the, the family of faith. That's not, not you, but I meant to the parents that are indignant. Hey, you're breaking up my family. You're breaking up my family. No, no, no. There's the better family of faith. And these are things that kids very often wrestle with because they don't get it. And for my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, we have to understand formula. The formula in you, the formula in mama, the formula, formula in papa. The formula in siblings. We have to understand these things and understand that, hey, it's got to be right. And when it's not right, we can help one another. And when we help one another, we can also pray for one another. And these are things that happen in the Christian home. And things that, are hap that, that happen in the Christian church, in a church fellowship. 
Because it's the family of faith. But it doesn't always happen in the Christian home. A lot of times in the Christian home, you know, you have divorce. Yeah, sometimes you have, you know, uh, parents that, you know, they're on their third marriage, their fourth marriage. And yeah, you know, you, you have the broken home and you have all kinds of different things with the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll, all kinds of different things. And with kids, there's this disconnect because it's like, wow, you know, I read my Bible to, to speak with like a, a young 13 year old, maybe even 10 year old. Where it's like, wow, you know what? I read my Bible and yes, it's so beautiful. And yes, it's the word of God and all these things. But my home is a mess. I don't have The Bible says that I should have peace. But I go home and I don't have peace. I, I read my Bible and it says that my home should look like this. And I want to believe that. But when I'm home, I don't have that. And then, you know, when we understand the pneumos and what happens in the pneumos in the spirit realm, and the spirit realm has both good and evil, very dangerous, the, 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 the pneumos, the spirit realm, because it's then when Satan can whisper in an ear and say, hey, you know, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and you're home and you don't have that. In your family, you don't have that. And then Satan whispers, maybe the Bible is fake. Maybe you believe in Jesus and he's just pie in the sky. You see, seduction. Because Satan wants to destroy that seed. Remember our study in, in, in the book of Mark, what happens in the, in the pneumos with the seeds? And then kids fall away. Because it's like, wow, you know, I read my Bible, it says I'm supposed to have peace. I go home, I have no peace. You know, parents are, you know, I don't, I just met this guy, you know, and he's already, he wants to call himself a dad, but you know, I, I just met the guy, you know, my, you know, fifth marriage, you know, fourth marriage. She wants to call herself mom, but it's like, you know, so did the last lady. And kids, it's like, they wrestle with this. And so parents need to understand what our Lord teaches about the millstone. The millstone. Yes, very, you know, sometimes parents are, you know, don't talk about the millstone. Don't, don't talk about the millstone because it's too convicting. It's too convicting. Good. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Why? So that you and me can learn to fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning. Baby steps, the beginning of wisdom, you see? And it breaks my heart so much to have these conversations with kids, especially the teenagers, because teenagers, if you're, if you're my young brother, my young sister in Christ, 15, 16, 17, you have a certain level of understanding, which is, you know, far deeper than when you were five years old. You're 15 years old. You can grasp certain things. You're 18, you know, 17. You can grasp certain things. But there are other things that you don't yet grasp. And it's not to say, oh, you're just a kid. You're just a kid. No, you know, just as the Bible says, let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your youth. I know young kids that can run circles around most pastors. And they don't, they don't do that in a prideful way. And they, they don't do that. But they're, they're very humble. So if you're a kid, don't think like, oh, I'm just a kid. What can I do? Don't think that way. Be a warrior, a kid warrior. 
Male, female, I don't care. I mean, I care, but I mean, you know, whether you're male, female. Remember, in Christ, there is no male, female. Be a warrior for Christ. 10 years old, hey, straight up warrior. 12, 13, 14, hey, let's be warriors for Christ. You see? But we have to have this understanding. And it's so beautiful that yet when a, when a, a Christian home, when the Lord is honored in a Christian home, yes, that is a beautiful thing. But it's not always the case in some homes. And if you're listening, I might be describing your home. Or you're a young kid and it's like, wow, you know, you look around. It's like, wow, you know what? My home, I'm supposed, the Bible says I'm supposed to have peace, but I don't have peace. But then we go micro, we go to the heart. Peace in our hearts. Very important to understand. Parents, never forget the millstone. Never, ever, ever forget the millstone. Yes, it's scary. But to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see? And we're never called to be stupid. Parents, I love you. I'm just the messenger. And so we see Jonathan here in chapter 14. You know, let's look at Jonathan. You know, he's broken away from his dad. He's broken away from his dad, King Saul. Now, let's see what happens. You know, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Just the two. Again, it's just the two. Nothing fancy. It's not a huge army. It's just two people, two men team. Hey, remember the armor bearer? Hey, I'm on board. Whatever's in your heart, I'm on board. And so we look at verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. So here they are. They're super close. They show themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. Now, you know, it, 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 if you've ever done recon, you know, like not like playtime, but like in a very dangerous environment, like legit recon. Things if you're seen, if you're like on a, on a mission, <laughs> if you're seen, you don't just compromise location. You can compromise the entire operation. You can compromise the entire mission, the, the entire goals. You can compromise everything. You know, if you're seen things, it's going to be hot and heavy. And we look at verse 11 and it's like, that's part of the plan. Like, hey, you remember, remember Jonathan? He was like, hey, you know, let's go over here. You know, let's do it. And, we're, you know, we're going to reveal ourselves. And the armor bearer's not like, hey, Jonathan, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. No, the armor bearer's like, hey, I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm with you. And it's so crazy what's happening because, you know, it confronts the natural methods. The natural orthodoxy, if you will. And we see, wow, there's, there's just something different about Jonathan. There's just something different about his armor bearer. Just the two. And we look at Saul, King Saul. We look at his son, Jonathan, and we see, okay, if, 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 if we were to take blood samples, okay, this is the, the, the family lineage. And yes, Jonathan, you're your dad's son. And okay, there's that lineage. But according to the spirit, we look at Saul, we look at Jonathan, and they're different. They're different. And for my young brothers and sisters in Christ, you might have defunct mom, you might have defunct dad, and according to the flesh, there is a family lineage. But never, ever, ever forget the better family. That's the family of faith, the family of God, heirs of Abraham as promised by God. And that's by faith in Jesus. The better family. 
Don't be discouraged. And you know, if you have defunct mom, defunct dad, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Like, oh man, you know what? Like, that, that those are my behavior traits. No. They have their behavior traits. Mom has her behavior traits. Dad has his behavior traits. But you also have your behavior traits. And when we're born of the Spirit, born again into Christ, He changes hearts. He changes minds. He gives a new spirit. And now your behavior traits, they're just different. You see? And these are things that we can see because the Lord says, hey, look at the fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. And now look what happens here in chapter 14. You know, uh, uh, Jonathan and the armor bear, hey, they're straight up, they're out in the open. And the Philistines said, here we are in, in verse 11. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. That's what the Philistines say. Now, I don't know what they saw. I don't know what they saw. I mean, did they see Jonathan and his armor bearer alone? And, you know, and, and did they see just the two and they think the Hebrews were coming out to fight? Or did they see something else? I don't know, because the, the Bible doesn't, it's not exactly clear. I don't know. And so why do we bring this up? Because remember Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit, but we're going to get there eventually in the Lord's timing. But, you know, with Nebuchadnezzar, when he looked into the fire expecting to see three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar saw four, you see? He expected to see three, but Nebuchadnezzar saw four. And so here in chapter 14, the Philistine says, hey, look, the Hebrews, they're coming out of the holes where they've hidden. I don't know what they saw. It could be they saw Jonathan and, and the armor bear alone, and that's it. The Hebrews here is in the plural. Is it just the two? Maybe. Maybe. But I don't know. Maybe they see something different. We get to verse 12 here. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. <laughs> now, just so you know, for me, I have to be very careful here. I have to be very careful. I'll tell you why. I used to have a carnal excitement, a carnal excitement. Back in my BC days, I used to have this excitement with fighting. I liked it. I, I, I guess, you know, in a way, I kind of still like it. Well, I do like it, but different rules of engagement. Completely different rules of engagement, you know. BC days, A, according to the flesh, but in Christ, according to the Spirit. I like a good fight. In my BC days, with fists. But in, you know, born again days, in Christ, you know, no longer with fists. Fists. It's very different rules of engagement. You know, the... The bigger, the better, you know, the, the challenge of bringing down the behemoth, you know, in my BC days, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Okay. You know, five seconds or five hours, you know, I'm not stopping, you know, once it's on, it's on, we're, 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 we're going to handle business. You see, you know, I'll give you an example for a moment, just a brief moment. I'll give you an example. And this might resonate with some veterans listening. Let's say you and me, you and me, just for example. Let's say you and me were part of a team of guys, a particular platoon. And say we're a part of this platoon. 
and were special operations capable. In any climate, any altitude, straight up ground pounders. Air, land, sea, well, we're ready for anything. Trained, equipped, capable, highly disciplined. Highly, highly disciplined. And let's say we're deployed and we're hunkered down and we're receiving enemy fire. And now, looking at that scene, looking at that scene, it has the appearance that we're losing. It has the appearance that we're losing as though the opposing force has the upper hand because there we are, we're taking enemy fire. Now, most people, they'd be straight up terrified in this situation. They'd be, they would be terrified to be in that situation. But remember, we're different. We're highly disciplined and we're just waiting for the signal. We're just waiting for the signal. That's it. It looks, it has the appearance like, wow, you look, they're hunkered down. They're taking fire and wow, you know, the, 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 the opposing force. Wow, they, they, they're winning. They're winning. But we're just, you know, highly disciplined and we're just waiting for the signal. And some of you old school guys, you know, you know, different era of warfare. You know, you remember the old pricky radios, those old school radios. And you remember that distinct sound they make, the, the scratchy audio. I love those old radios. And then the, the signal comes, the transmission on the radio, a eh, clear to engage, clear to engage. And now it's time. We got to handle business. Weapons hot. Now, forgive me for speaking in this manner. It seems to be carnal to even speak in this manner, but there are absolutely similarities according to the spirit. And these, these are things that we see in the book of Acts. Remember, the disciples, you know, where we get the word discipline from, the disciples, they're students, but then they become apostles. And we absolutely learn about spiritual warfare in our study in the book of Mark, spiritual warfare. And we see the learning aspect of spiritual warfare, but then we see the actual spiritual warfare. I mean, we've seen it in the book of Acts, but, or in the book of Mark, but we're gonna, we see a hardcore in the book of Acts. Why? Because we see the Acts. Very important to understand. And so to describe it in this manner, it seems carnal, but remember we're in the Old Testament. We're in, you know, Old Covenant, Old Covenant rules of engagement of the flesh. But as a people of the, of, of the new covenant abiding in Christ, there's still warfare. Absolutely, there is still warfare, major warfare, hardcore warfare. But we don't fight according to the flesh. We fight according to the spirit. You see? This is why we speak of the good deadly, the good deadly, where we can be babies in Christ and we grow and become adolescent in Christ. And then we become more mature in Christ and we stay mature in Christ and we're mature in Christ for a while as we learn more and more and more. But then there's like the next tier, which is like straight up deadly, the good deadly, straight up warriors for Christ, the likes of Paul warrior for Christ. Chloe, warrior for Christ. I'm so in love with Chloe. She's hardcore. Timothy, Lydia, Titus, Priscilla. These are deadly people. Deadly people. The good deadly. They don't fight according to the flesh. They fight according to the spirit under the very specific rules of engagement of the new covenant. And the Lord teaches us how to fight this kind of fight. And so these are things that I think about when we, when we look at verse 12 here, because remember verse 10, where Jonathan says, but if they say, come up to us, remember verse 10, if they say, come up to us, and then we see in verse 12, 
What do they say? Come up to us. And for me, that's when I think of that radio. The old, you know, you old codgers, you know, you know, old veterans, you know those old school radios. You know, the big heavy packs that you wear. You remember those old, the, the big antenna you fold down? Those You remember those the, that signal on the radio, you know, cleared hot, cleared to engage. That's what I think about. Like in verse 10, you know, if they say, come up to us, verse 12, come up to us. It's like, wow, you know what? Cleared to engage. Roger that. Look what happens here. Jonathan, here in uh, 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 verse 12, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me. For the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Wow. Just a two-man team. Just a two-man team. I don't know, you know, what the Philistines saw. I don't know if they saw just Jonathan and his armor bearer. Or if the Lord revealed himself. Or if angels revealed themselves. I don't know. But we can't say for certain that they saw just two, because you know Hebrews is plural, pluralized here in, in in the in the in the plural, and it could just be okay. Plural is just two. It could be. But what the Philistines saw, they might have seen something else. Just like Nebuchadnezzar expecting to see three, you know, but he saw four instead of three. And so in verse thirteen. Cleared to engage in verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bear after him. I love these two so much. I'm so in love with these two. Because it's not a huge mighty force in terms of numbers, but just two people. And for the armor bear to say to Jonathan, hey, Jonathan, hey, I'm on board. I'm on board. Don't forget, there's a break from the king. They break away from King Saul. Jonathan has broken away from his dad. And yes, we can take blood samples. We can take blood samples and Saul and Jonathan and match the DNA. But we can take another sample and see, wait a second, these two are different. Jonathan is different from his dad. A DNA match of the flesh. And a DNA difference of the spirit. You see? Again, for my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, especially the teenagers. Especially the teenagers, because teenagers, you can identify certain things about behavior traits. You can discern behaviors that don't line up with the Bible. And you can discern that, hey, something's wrong with mom. Hey, something's wrong with dad. Listen, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. My younger brothers, my younger sisters in Christ, I love you. And if that's the case, you have to discern this. You're just like Jonathan in that regard. A breakaway. You see? You have a DNA match according to the flesh. But according to the spirit, there is no match. You see? Because you're different. And you're set apart for the Lord. Very important to understand. And sometimes I do have these conversations with kids. Young kids, sometimes, you know, 10 years old, 9 years old, 12 years old, 15, 17 years old, and they wrestle with these things. Wow, you know, I read my Bible, you know, and the Bible says this, but then my home is a mess. And it's not to say, you know, your home is a mess because mom and dad are stupid. No, because we're to give honor to the Lord. 
honor to, to parents. But honor to parents is never more than honor unto the Lord. It's to say, hey, you know what? You're, you know, you, you, this disconnect you see is because mom and dad, they are disobedient to the Lord. And yes, it is foolishness. And so if you're a teenager, never throw this in the face of the parent. Never throw this in the face of the parent. Never. Because you edge on hypocrisy. Because there's still a lot of learning that needs to happen. And you still have to give honor to, to the parents. You see? Never throw it in their face. You see? Very important to understand. It's a big problem for kids these days. A big, huge problem for kids these days. Because we're in the last days. We're in the last days and Satan and the demons, they know their time is short. And who are they attacking? They're going to the younger generation. They're going to the kids in the schools, the TV programs, the radio music, all kinds of different things. And kids are under major, major, major attack. And if you're a Christian kid, teenager, even younger, be a warrior, straight up warrior, a fighter, you see? And this problem that we see these days, you know, where right and wrong is discerned. Sometimes it's with the parents. A lot of times it's with the parents where kids can say like, you know, like my mom is acting like this. It's not right. Because the Bible says, don't do that. My dad is acting like this and it's not right. Because the Bible says, don't do that. But what's not discerned is when a parent or even parents together becomes carnal. And a parent becomes carnal. And then a parent becomes leaven. And then a parent becomes apostate. And then a parent becomes judged. And then the parent becomes recipients of God's wrath. You see, remember Romans 1, God's wrath on individuals. And it happens as a result of a person's own choice. But people make their own choice. And for kids to hear this, if you're a teenager, listen, it's terrifying. It's heartbreaking. I know it is. And because it's terrifying what happens, a lot of adults coddle their kids and they shelter kids from this biblical reality, this biblical truth. And don't get me wrong, sheltering a three-year-old is a good thing. Sheltering a three-year-old is a good thing. But sheltering a 15-year-old in the same manner, that is not a good thing. Especially when kids are on the front lines of an intense war. Major war. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's kinetic now. And kids are confused. I have these chats with kids all the time. Kids are confused. Teenagers confused. And then they enter into adulthood. They're like, you know, 20, 21, 22. And they're straight up, you know what? I'm done with the Lord. I don't even want to call him, call him the Lord. I'll call him Jesus. But I won't call him the Lord. I'm done. What happened? Five years old, baby girl, she loved the Lord. Ten years old, baby girl, she loved the Lord. Fifteen, started to get shaky. Seventeen, it was really shaken. Twenty, she just straight up, flat out, I'm done. I'm done with the Lord. Twenty-two, she says, I'm done with Jesus. She doesn't even want to call him the Lord anymore. What happened? You see, 
Then you look at the home and you look at the parents. And the parents became apostate. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's one. But they became apostate. A poor example of righteousness for baby girl. Yeah, when she was five, it was fine, you know. When when she was born, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dedicate baby girl. We're gonna dedicate baby girl to the Lord. Baby girl's a, a, a newborn, you know, dedicated to the Lord, you know, beautiful dress, the thing in her, the big flower in her hair, so beautiful, the chubby cheeks, so beautiful. Twenty-two years old. Hey, I'll call him Jesus, but I won't call him Lord. I'm done with him. What happened? What happened to the beautiful baby girl? You see? And so teenagers, teenagers, even younger, need to understand that, yes, in this apostasy that is prophesied, Satan doesn't fight fair. Satan fights dirty. And casualties, as we see casualties in the church, casualties can also be seen in the home. And it's happening. And to talk with kids and kids, I don't get it. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what's happening. But to have this conversation and to boil it down, hey, your parents are falling away. Your parents are becoming apostate. And not to, not just say it like point blank, like, you know, hey, your, your, your parents are under judgment. You know, your, your, your parents are under God's wrath. No, to, to break it down, like, you know, this is what's happening in the nimos. You see? And when kids are confused, Satan loves it because it gives them a foothold. And so my younger brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be confused. Understand the landscape of war, the landscape of warfare. And you and me, let's train together. You and me, let's train. Straight up, hand-to-hand, weapon, let's train. Straight up warriors for Christ. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's supernatural. And so here we are in chapter 14. Remember, there's steep cliffs. And the two are crawling up. They reach the top. Jonathan first. Look what happens to the Philistines. And they fell before Jonathan, we see. Verse 13. They fell before Jonathan. So what happened? Did Jonathan beat them up? Was there a moment of hand-to-hand combat? The text doesn't say that. We read that they fell before Jonathan. And I love this. I love this so much. Because we see God's promises for people, for a nation, for a tribe. But we can also boil it down to the individual level. The garrison of the Philistines, they fell. They fell. It, the text doesn't say, you know, Jonathan, you know, you know, you know, put up your dukes. You know, Jonathan was like punching people out. The, the text doesn't say that. The text says they fell before Jonathan. And so Jonathan crawls up the cliff, reaches the top. The garrison falls. And now the armor bearer reaches the top too. Look what happens at the end of verse 13. And as he came after him, the armor bearer killed them. You see, look at this beautiful two-man team. It's not like a mighty armor uh, army. It's not a mighty force. It's not like, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. No, just two. The faith of Jonathan. The faith of Jonathan to say to his armor bearer, nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many 
or by few. And also the faith of the armor bearer. To straight up say, hey, I'm on board. Jonathan, you want to handle business? Armor bearer, hey, let's go handle business. I'm on board. And the Philistine garrison falls. And it's the armor bearer who kills them. The armor bearer. Now remember, there were restrictions on the blacksmiths imposed by the Philistines. You know, no weapons for Israel in this region. It was Saul and Jonathan who had weapons. And weapons that here, Jonathan, he didn't use. According to the flesh, he didn't use because it was the armor bearer who killed the Philistines. Very important to understand. As New Covenant believers and how we do not fight according to the flesh. Very important for you and me to understand as New Covenant believers. And so we see here in verse 14, that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. So it's not a huge battlefield. It's not a, like, a, like a, you know, sprawled out over like, you know, multiple acres, you know. It's not a huge battlefield. But look at the ratio, 2 to 20. Two people versus 20. Carnally speaking, oh, they have no chance. They have no chance. Look, Jonathan doesn't even have weapons. The armor bearer is carrying it. They have no chance. Carnally speaking, you have 20, 20 of the, the garrison against two. They have no chance, carnally speaking. But with the Lord, the 20 are dead and the two stand. We see here in verse 15, and there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among the, all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. Now, in verse 16, now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. So now we get a picture. We're back in the camp with Saul, and they can see now, hey, something's happening. The watchmen observe the Philistines from a distance, and, and they can see. The multitude, they're straight up melting away. In the Hebrew, translates as they're fainting or becoming faint of heart. Verse 17, then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see who has gone from us. So remember, from Saul's perspective, he's at full capacity. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they left in secret. So Saul thinks, okay, we're at full capacity. So what's happening? So he calls a roll call, you know, hey, find out what's happening. Who is it that's there? Did, did somebody, are we at full capacity? Did somebody leave? What's happening? And when they called the roll, surprisingly, we see here in verse 17, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. Remember, the earth is quaking. The Philistines, they're scared and they're fainting and they're becoming faint of heart. I mean, if you've ever been in an earthquake, hey, that's scary. That's scary. I mean, if, if you're like in a, you know, 2.2, 2.5, you know, that's, that's kind of scary, you know, maybe mildly scary. But if you're like out on five or, you know, six on the Richter scale, whoa, that's now it's, and it's one thing if it's like, you know, five seconds long, 10 seconds long. But what about if it's like in the double digits, you know, like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, eight on the Richter scale, nine on the Richter scale. 
And so it's scary. And the Philistines, they're straight up scared. They're fainting and becoming faint of heart. And so we see in verse 19, the noise in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Now, remember, he told the priest, he told the priest, go get the ark. But then he changes his mind. So now it's like, oh, never mind, you know, go get the ark. And oh, never mind, go get the ark. He sees that, you know, uh, the Philistines are scared. Oh, never mind. Which is another behavior trait that's rather interesting. Because he's about to engage. He's, <clears throat> remember, we're at the precipice of battle. And there was a two-man team. There was the breakaway, that Jonathan, uh, the breaking away from his dad. The armor bearer to be on board. And he's about to engage. The, the, the Israel, under the leadership of Saul, they're about to engage. And he wants the ark of the Lord. And then the sound from the Philistines gets louder. And so he figures, well, I don't need the ark anymore. The odds are in my favor. It's just odd. Little indicators along the way when we look at the the marathon of King Saul, like, wait a second, that's a little off. These behavior traits with Saul that, hey, that's inconducive with the ways of righteousness. It's just a little off and it multiplies. Look at these things that we see, these things that we notice in King Saul. It's like, wow, that's not, that's not right. And so in verse 20, then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went to battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was great, there was, there was very great confusion. So they get to the battlefield under the leadership of Saul, Israel, they get to the battlefield and what do they see? Everyone, they're straight up crazy. They've lost their mind. They're attacking themselves. We see that, you know, in verse 20, every man's sword against his neighbor. In verse 21, moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So what was happening? There were, there were Jews, Hebrew people who were kind of subjugated by the Philistines. And when Saul comes to battle, these Jews, they join with Saul. And so we see in verse 22, likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they had heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So remember last week's study where Israel was straight up scared because the Philistines, they amassed a sizable force. And then the Jews, they went into hiding. And so now they see what's happening and they join Saul in the fight. And in verse 23, so the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle shifted to Beth Aven. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Another behavior trait of King Saul. Another behavior trait. It's just off. It's inconducive with the ways of righteousness because in this behavior trait, we see he's impatient. He's impatient. Instead of having vengeance tomorrow or in a couple days or instead of that, no, he wants it today. He wants it today 
And he places the people under an oath. A, no eating until I have vengeance. And don't forget, vengeance, that belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so uh, uh, King Saul, he wants his vengeance. You see these behavior traits? It's like he's impatient. And look at all these things that are happening. When vengeance belongs to the Lord and he wants his vengeance. I mean, you know, vengeance belongs to the Lord and Saul wants his vengeance. You see? It's like, wow, that's, now it's getting like, it's like, it's not just a little bit off. Now it's like with, you know, one on top of the other, on top of the other, you're starting to see like an, an intensifying of these behavior traits that's just like, whoa, these are inconducive with the ways of righteousness. And don't forget, several chapters before, he has the spirit of the Lord. And as he's making these choices with these behavior traits of his, he's making these choices, we're seeing him quench the spirit. We're seeing him extinguish the spirit. You see? And he places the people under an oath. Hey, no eating. No eating until I have my vengeance. And that, you know, it's, you could say, well, it's no big deal if the fight is over in 30 minutes. It's no big deal. But, you know, an excess of 30 minutes, the longer the fight, you know, an hour, two hours. Listen, bodies, human bodies, they're going to want calories. They're going to want sustenance or they become famished. And that's what's happening in Israel, it, it, with the people with Israel. That's what's happening. They're becoming distressed. You see, in verse 24, the men of Israel were distressed that day for Saul had placed them, placed the people under oath saying, cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So what did they do? None of the people tasted the food. None of the people tasted food. And in verse 25, <clears throat> Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And the people had come into the woods. And when the people, and when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. Now, that... That had to be torture. I meant to be starving and then to see the honey dripping and not eat any. That had to be torture. But then what blows me away, it's the reason why. The reason why they're not eating. They feared the oath. And don't get me wrong. It's good that the people are honoring their oath. But why is the oath even there? Why is the oath even there? Was it to honor the Lord? Or was it the vanity of the king? Was it the vanity of King Saul? You see? And we can look at this and be like, well, okay, that's just the Old Testament. But understand, listen, we see this in the New Testament too. We see it even still today. The vanity of leadership. The vanity of pastors. Such as in the Old Testament, Alexander and Hymenaeus. And we see it today. The vanity of pastors. Pastors who stand at the pulpit. Oh, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, then you'll tithe this much. You'll serve over here. You'll serve over there. And the whole time is to support a pastor's vanity. You see? Nothing new under the sun. Leadership matters. The formula's got to be right. 
What about the pastor who straight up says, I don't want you to do anything. What about that pastor? I don't want you to do anything. Just sit down, listen, and follow along in your Bible. And let's let the Lord do a work in our hearts. Where are those pastors? Remember Paul in Romans? Remember Romans? the study through the book of Romans? Present your body a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Imagine that. Imagine that where you and me say we're baby Christians and we go to a pastor. Hey, pastor, you know, what do we want to serve the Lord? What do we do? Hey, pastor, we want to serve the Lord. What do we do? What do we do? We don't know what to do. We're babies in Christ. We're new believers. What do we do, pastor? We want to serve the Lord. You know how many pastors would say, well, you know what? Uh, move this furniture over here. Oh, why don't you go clean the bathroom? Why don't you go do this? Or why don't you go pass out flyers in the neighborhood? Why don't you go do this, that, and this, and that? And sometimes they'll even give a guilt trip. Well, if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, you want to serve the Lord, okay, you know, hey, put a hundred bucks in the, in the uh, offering plate. But where are the pastors who say, do nothing? You want to serve the Lord? Do nothing. You want to serve the Lord? Do nothing except this. Present your body a living sacrifice. Where are those guys? That's what I want to know. Where are those guys? Pastor, we want to serve the Lord. We want to serve. You and me, we're baby Christians. We're baby Christians. Pastor, we want to serve the Lord. We don't know what to do. We want to serve the Lord. You know how many men... You know how many men will say, well, if you want to serve the Lord here, you know, put an extra 50 bucks over here. Why don't you, you know, you know, uh, uh, go and clean the toilets. Why don't you go vacuum the floor? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? But where are the pastors say, hey, do nothing. Except present your body a living sacrifice. And like, wait a second. What are you talking about living sacrifice? What does that mean? Sit down. Listen, and let's study the Bible together. And let's let the Word of God show us what sacrifice is. You see, where are those guys? Where are the pastors who reject vanity? And where are the pastors who exalt the Lord? You see? Because we can look at this and be like, well, you know, it's just Old Testament, you know, no big deal. We are a new covenant people. But in the Old Testament, the Lord shows us, the Lord teaches us. Remember what Paul says? The things of old were written for our admonition, you see, for our warning. And we see here in verse 27, so that, or don't forget, uh, 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 in verse 26, no one put his uh, hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. Because remember, there was, uh, 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 in verse 26, there was the honey dripping. You know, I love that because it's not just, you know, in, you know, when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey. No, the Bible says there was the honey dripping. You know, picture that. You're like, we're famished. You know, we're just like straight up warfare. You know, it's getting late, you know, and we've just been in like intense, you know, intense fighting, intense warfare. And it's not just, okay, look, there was the honey. No, the Bible says there was the honey dripping. You know, it's like, whoa, that's torture. That's torture. And what happens here in verse 27? But Jonathan had not heard his father's charge the people, had not heard his father charge the people with the oath in verse 27. Therefore, he stretched out the end of his rod 
that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his countenance brightened. Very interesting what we see here. His countenance brightened. In verse 28, then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. He says in verse 30, How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? See, Jonathan makes a valid case. I mean, here we are. We have victory. And if we have victory like this and we're faint, think of what could have been, you know, if we weren't faint. You see, he makes a very valid case, a very strong case. But notice the impatience of King Saul. Imposing this oath, it seemed good for him. It seemed good for him to put Israel under an oath Doing what is right in his own eyes, you see. But what happened, it served against his desire because the slaughter could have been even greater. The slaughter could have been even greater. I mean, if the slaughter was done by, you know, three o'clock or four o'clock in, in, in the afternoon, hey, we could have been done by noon, you see. I mean, you know, we were done at four o'clock, we were done at five o'clock, and that's when we were famished. But hey, we could have been done at like 10 o'clock. We could have been done in the morning. You see, the slaughter could have been even greater and it made Israel faint. You see, King Saul, he thought his decision was good. His desire for vengeance. Remember, vengeance, that belongs to the Lord. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And here, King Saul, no, he wanted his vengeance. And for us today, you know, we look at this and it's, it's easy for us. It's easy for us to, to say and rightfully acknowledge that God's ways are better. But sometimes we treat it as lip service only. You see? Sometimes it's lip service. Oh, yes, we love you, Lord. And, you know, your ways are better, Lord. And it sounds good. And it's right to acknowledge the Lord in that manner. But what about when we're in the heat of the moment? What about when we're in the thick of circumstance? What about when we're in, in the valley of decision? What about when a desire seems to be good? Is God's way still better? Straight up. Is God's way still better? What about when your desired path would reap you an extra hundred bucks? Your desired path would reap you an extra thousand dollars, an extra ten thousand dollars, an extra hundred thousand dollars, an extra million, a cool million. What about when your desired path would retain friends and family. You still get to keep all your friends. 
You still get to get invited to all the dinners where you like your fridge can be empty and you'll be full. Why? Because all these people are inviting you over for dinner. Hey, can you come over for dinner tonight? Oh, I'm sorry. I, these other people invited me over. Okay, how about tomorrow? Okay, we'll do it tomorrow. Somebody else calls. You know, hey, can you come over for dinner? Hey, no, I'm sorry. I'm booked. But when are you available? It's like, hey, two months out. Okay, let's put on the books. And what about when your desired path, <clears throat> you get to keep all your friends, you get to keep all your family. Is God's way still better? And here we see King Saul, he's making these decisions. He's making these choices and it seems right. It seems right to him to, to make these decisions. After all, look, we have victory. I mean, here we are in chapter 14, we have victory. But then we look at the the underbelly of those processes that took place in his mind where it's like, well, you know what? I think I'm going to put Israel under this oath because I want to have my vengeance. Is God's way still better? You see? And for you and me, what about when our desires, what about when your desire, what about when that desire when it begins to align with the Lord. And it comes at a cost. Sometimes it comes at great cost. You lose friends. You lose family. You lose money. It begins to cost you. It begins to cost you dearly. And now people who were friends, people who were brothers, people who were sisters, now they hate you. Because it's then when every single one of us can say, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Very important to understand. The ways of this world are not the ways of the Lord. And in this tsunami of apostasy, the tsunami of apostasy, it's going to take a lot of people, a lot of believers. But who's going to stand at the end? You see? And these are things that we have to understand today. And I love so much how we see with Jonathan a breakaway from his carnal dad, his dad according to the flesh. Which is why we give these major exhortation for young people, teenagers, even younger. I mean, we desire for a home to be of faith. Mom, dad, kids, everybody. We desire everybody. But in the last days, it is prophesied that under your own roof, under your own roof, you will have enemies. Enemies of the cross. Enemies of Christ. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. These are things that we have to understand because this tsunami that's, I mean, multiple waves, but it's intensifying. The tsunami of apostasy. And God's ways are always better. 100% of the time. Always, always, always better. And as you and me, as we 
reckon the old man dead, as we reckon the old woman dead, as we reckon the old boy dead, the old girl dead, as we reckon the old nature, the ways of the flesh, as we reckon that person to be dead, you will be different. You're not going to be run of the mill. You're not going to be carnal because you're of the spirit and Christ is in you. And Paul says, yes, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And you and me can say the same. I am crucified with Christ. We are crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who lives, but Christ who lives in us. It's the remnant that's going to be standing at the end. You see, with King Saul here in chapter 14, he's trying to have it both ways. And we're going to see, he continues to try to have it both ways. Well, you know, I love you, Lord, but I also love my ways. I love you. Hey, Lord, can you help me out over here? Can you help me out over here? And, you know, over here with this choice, you know what? I got this, Lord. I got this, you know. Lord, I want to honor you like this. And, you know, you say to honor you like this. Okay, I'm on board. I'll do it like that. But, you know. This over here, I'll do it according to my ways. And Saul tries to have it both ways. We're seeing Saul become lukewarm. Lukewarm. As he quenches the spirit, as he extinguishes the spirit of the Lord. We're seeing it in real time here in chapter 14. We've seen it already in chapter 13. We're seeing it in real time here in chapter 14. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Now look what happens in verse 31. Now they were now, now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon. So the people were very faint. It was not, you know, like the example, like, you know, we're, we're, you know, it, it, we finished at 4 p.m. You know, we could have been done at noon. If we weren't famished, we could have been done at noon. But, you know, here it is, 4 p.m. and we still got more. So we're going to keep fighting until like, you know, 8 p.m. You see, so the people here, they're very faint. The Hebrew people, they're straight up starving. They're hungry. King Saul got what he wanted. He got his vengeance. He got it in his allotted time frame. You know, nobody eats until I have my vengeance. And everything is just fine. Everything seems to be just fine. All right. Let's see what happens. Verse 32. And the people rushed on the spoil. And took the sheep, oxen, and calves, and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Whoa. You know, there's the saying, you know, I'm so hungry I can eat a horse. Well, here the people, they're straight up starving. And they're eating the animals like on the spot. And don't forget, in the law, in the law, there are rules for warfare. In the law. Remember to lead with grace? Remember our study in Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, lead with grace? But then, you know, I don't want to sound carnal in saying this, but according to the law, you know, you could go to war, you know, take out a couple guys and, you know, that the guys are on the ground, you know, you kill them. You know, this is according to the law, rules of engagement of the, you know, warfare according to the flesh. So a couple guys, okay, you kill them. They're dead. And when they're dead, you look in their satchels, okay, find some fruit, find some dates, and maybe some meat, you know, drink their water. 
You're on the battlefield. There's the fruit trees on the battlefield. Listen, the, the, it, according to the law, it's okay to eat along the way. Sustenance along the way. That's in the law. Warfare, according to the law. And this is something that King Saul, he made forbidden. Don't eat. Don't eat until I have my vengeance. You see? When really, remember, vengeance, it belongs to the Lord. Look at these behavior traits. These behavior traits of Saul, these behavior traits of the king, they're now impacting the people. It's already impacted the people. It's already been impacting the people, but now Israel is defiled. And before we think, you know, how can Saul do such a thing? Let's not forget. Let's not forget. It was the people who wanted a king. You see, don't forget. They wanted a king. The Lord was their king. And that's what Samuel was trying to tell them. The prophet Samuel, he was trying to tell them, you know, the Lord is our king. The Lord is our king. And the people said, hey, make us a king. We want a king. So this is, they're getting exactly what they wanted. They have their king, but look at him. You see? Look at these behavior traits and we've seen it. It's getting like amplifying in chapter 13. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's over and over. The works of the flesh and there's this. Okay. These behavior traits, well, that's a little bit off. And chapter 14, that's a little bit off. But now look, Israel is defiled. And we see in verse 33, then they told Saul saying, look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. What's happening? What's happening? Remember our studies in Torah, Old Testament? I mean, we're still in the Old Testament, but Torah, five books of Moses. We want Israel to be clean. We want the people to be pure before the Lord. And now look, Israel is defiled. Israel is defiled. They're eating the blood. And it's by the hand of the king that they desired. They wanted a king. You see why Samuel the prophet was so hurt? He was hurt. And the Lord comforted him and reassured him, Hey, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And so now King Saul is aware that Israel is consuming blood. So he said here in verse 33, So he said, You have dealt treacherously. You have dealt treacherously. He said, Some nerve. Some nerve. Again, remember last week? No ownership. He's playing the blame game still. Instead of saying, I have sinned. He's saying, no, it's your fault. You have dealt treacherously. You have dealt treacherously, he says. He says, roll a large stone to me this day. In verse 34, and Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox and every man's sheep. Slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with them that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. In verse 36, now Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them in the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. See, 
I mean, do whatever seems good to you. Said to Saul and said to Jonathan, it's night and day. It's night and day. Same lineage according to Adam, Saul and Jonathan, but a huge difference. Same lineage. Remember the DNA samples. We could, we could take blood, a blood sample from Saul, a blood sample from Jonathan, and see, okay, DNA match. You're just, you know, DNA match, you know, you're, you, you know, Jonathan, you, he's your dad. The DNA matches, he's your dad, you know, biological. But a different sample, according to spirit, night and day. The flesh might reveal like, you know, yes, you, this is your dad. But the spirit reveals something different. You're, you, you're set apart. Jonathan, you're different. You're not like him. You see, according to spirit, hey, Jonathan, you're not like him. Look what happens here in verse 36. They said, do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. You see, the Lord was silent. Saul asked counsel from the Lord. And we see at the end of verse 37, the Lord didn't answer him. You see, the Lord was silent. And it just so happens, it just so happens, we study this on Sunday. Is prayer the problem? Nope. Is God the problem? Not at all. So who's left? Straight up, who's left? King Saul. In whom is found the wrong formula. You see, look at these behavior traits. Remember, we've we seen it last week. These behavior traits, like, wow, that's, hey, king, that's a little bit off. We see it today, hey, king, that's a little bit off. And like, wow, now Israel is consuming blood. You see, and in verse 38, and Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. This is a sin, yes. Israel is consuming blood, but instigated by who? And for whose purpose? And for whose ambition? King Saul is not without blame. I mean, verse 38, you know, all you chiefs of the people come over here and know and see what the sin was today. It's his fault. He brought this on the people. It's his, if he didn't make them, if he didn't put them under the oath, this wouldn't have happened. They could have taken out a couple guys, you know, eating their, you know, maybe some raisins. They might have some raisins in like a satchel, you know, like, you know, drink their water. You see? Maybe a fruit tree along the way. The honey in the woods. This would have never happened. There didn't have to be that, especially in accordance to the law. There are rules of warfare. That yes, you know, you can eat along the way. You see, you know, there are fruit on the trees. Hey, eat the fruit. Take out a couple guys, you know, look in their, their food satchel. They got a sandwich in there. Hey, eat the sandwich. Kosher. You see, it, that's the rules of warfare in the law. But oh no, the king, he imposes this oath. Why? Because he wanted his vengeance. He wanted his vengeance. And so now he has his vengeance and the people are starving 
and they're starving so much so they're not going to take the time to like, you know, start a fire and cook this and cook that and cut this. No, they're just like, they're eating blood. They're breaking the law. Israel is defiled. And King Saul, he's like trying to remove himself from it, but it's there because of him. He's trying to remove, oh, look, look at this sin today. Look at this sin today. You see? In verse 38, know and see what this, it's his fault. He brought it on the people and you see this hypocrisy. But as new covenant believers, remember we studied the book of Romans. If you've been walking with us for a while, but when you see hypocrisy, you see something else. No effectuation. I mean, he praised the Lord. He praised the Lord and no answer. You see, no answer. Look what King Saul says in verse 39. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. And in the Hebrew translate says, even if it's Jonathan, my son, even if it's Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. See, a person could look at this and think like, wow, you know, the, the king, wow, he's really a man of his word. Wow, look at him. That's so honorable. Oh, look, he's. Even if it's his son, well, wow, that's just like Abraham and, 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 and Isaac. But when you understand formula, that holy recipe, King Saul, he's far from Abraham. A man of his word? Sure, sure, when it suits him. You see, what about when his word is foolishness? Leadership matters. You and me together, we have to understand this holy recipe that we call formula. It's got to be right. Just like the example we gave earlier with, you know, we get back in time and we meet with Pastor Jimenez. Hey, Pastor Jimenez, we're going to submit ourselves to you because the Bible says, hey, submit to your pastor. But we are disobedient if that happens. Why? Because we're submitting ourselves to the wrong pastor. We get my time machine, we go back in time, we meet up with Paul. Hey, Paul, we're going to submit ourselves to you. We are no longer disobedient. We are obedient to the Lord. Why? Paul, right formula. The formula is right in Paul. You see? We submit to Hymenaeus. We are, you know, if Hymenaeus wants to be disobedient, that's his choice. That's his prerogative. But for you and me to submit ourselves to him and us, now we're partakers in that evil prerogative. And now in so doing, we become disobedient. Remember what Jesus says, take heed to what you hear. Take heed to what you hear. Take heed to what you hear. That's what our Lord says. We have to understand the formula. You see? And don't forget, King Saul, that's the king that the people wanted. They want, they have what they wanted. They wanted a king and Samuel tried to stop them. And no, and Samuel even warned them in obedience to the Lord. They said, no, we still want our king. The people rejected God, rejected Samuel. And now they have their king. And he's the one, King Saul, who brought this sin upon them. You see? And we see here, 
but not a man among all the people answered him. You see? He says in verse 39, Though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. And But not a man among the people answered him. Now remember several chapters ago, the people were shouting, Long live the king, long live the king. I don't know what King Saul was expecting, but maybe he was expecting to hear the accolades of the people. But it's quiet here. Nobody answered him. In verse 40, then he said to all Israel, you be on one side and my, and, and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. I, I wonder, I wonder if there was just one soul in the crowd, maybe a couple. I wonder if there's just maybe one or two people, maybe a little bit more, who started to wonder, started to think, you know what? We should have listened to Samuel. We should have listened to the prophet Samuel. I wonder if there was anybody there. Like, like, what, what, what's happening? Like, we're, we're eating blood, you know? Like, the, the, we're, we're straight up eating blood, which is forbidden in the law. We're eating blood and... and you know, we have the king that we wanted and we remember the words of the prophet Samuel and maybe he was right. Maybe we were wrong to desire a king. I wonder if there's anybody in the crowd who started to think that. And in verse 41, therefore Saul, therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So they're casting lots. Remember, the Lord didn't answer his prayer. The Lord was silent. They're casting lots and they're determining the will of the Lord. And, you know, on, on one side is the people. On the other side is King Saul and Jonathan. And so the, and Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. You see, so this lot, they cast lots and the lot determined, hey, death isn't for the people. Death is on the king's side. And in verse 42, and Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Now they're casting lots. Jonathan is isolated. Remember in our study in, 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 in uh, uh, Joshua, in Joshua with Achan in uh, chapter 7, and remember in how, how Achan was isolated? Something similar, isolated by Lot. It's something similar here. Now Jonathan is isolated by Lot. It's Jonathan. And in verse 43, Saul, Saul remember, father and son. Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die. What a difference from his dad. Even in judgment, what a huge difference. Because Jonathan, he's not making excuses. He's not playing the blame game. No, you know, he's not saying, you know, oh, oh I, I didn't know. I didn't know. You know, oh, it's this guy's fault. Oh, it's that guy's fault. He's not saying that. He just straight up says, hey, I tasted the honey. And now I must die. Look what happens in verse 44. And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Look what happens though. The people, they intercede. In verse 45, but the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not, exclamation point. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Look what we see here. Jonathan. Jonathan. That taster of honey. 
the taster of honey, he lives. Now, we can look at this situation and be like, whoa, wait a second. Like, what in the world is happening? The people rescued Jonathan and we see how King Saul, we see these behavior traits where he, he's kind of turning into a, like a like a yes man, like a like a modern day politician, you know, whatever the people want, whatever the people want, you know, the, the, so the, the people intercede. And I do want to say much more. But I'm going to refrain from saying more. But the reason is for your safety. I mean, if we were in straight up face-to-face -face fellowship, you know, I would have an idea of maturity levels and, you know, be able to speak more openly about deeper things while providing guidance to those who are younger in the faith. But... I'm going to refrain from saying more, but it's for your safety. Do, do you remember when we were in the epistles? And I said that I'm thankful for false teachers. And it sounds odd. Like, what in the world? I thought false teachers are bad. Yes, false teachers are bad. But the reason for being thankful for false teachers is because it prohibits the effectuation of re-crucifying Jesus. So it's not a thankfulness for the false teacher, for the sake of the false teacher. It's thankfulness for the sake of the sheep, for the restoration of God's flock. And that's why we say a hey, jump ship. If you identify your pastor or teacher and the, the, the guy is false or the lady's false, hey, listen, jump ship. You got to jump ship. And so forgive me because here I do want to say more, but it's something kind of similar to that very concept of, you know, like being thankful for the false teacher, but it's not for the sake of the false teacher. It's for the sake of the sheep because, be, because of effectuation. Because the formula is wrong in a pastor, the formula is wrong in a teacher. What that does do is it limits effectuation for other truths because the pastor is wrong. You see, because there are there there are passages about effectuation for the re-crucifying of Jesus, which is impossible. And when that happens, that's straight up judgment. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing at all. And so do you hear me say like, you know, this guy's thankful for false teachers. Like, whoa, that's crazy. What does he mean? What does he mean? And it's not for the false teacher. It's for the sake of the sheep because there's hope for the sheep. There's hope for the sheep that maybe their, their heart is not the softer than softest jello. Maybe it's like uh, uh, maple, oak, maybe even pine, but it's not stone. You see, it's not stone because effectuation of God's promises, you know, and the false teacher is what limits the effectuation of that promise. Now, it's not to say that, remember, if, if there's no love of the truth, what happens? Strong delusion comes as a result. And so there's that as well. And so we have to account for the, it is also written. And so this is why I'm going to refrain from saying much more about what's happening here in verse 45. It's not, it's not like, you know, like, I don't want to say it. It's that it can be misconstrued 
we have to have, if we were in face-to-face fellowship, you know, you know, maybe I would like, you know, separate, you know, certain people and say, okay, look, you know, if like pastors, a group of pastors, hey, you know, we're going to like, we're, we're going to like study this for 10 more hours, you know, because these are things that have to be understood for effectuation, accounting for the many, many, it is also written. And it's not for the sake of, you know, what is false. It's for hope of what can be restored. You see, very important to understand. And these are things that pastors in the last days, pastors must understand because a this this tsunami it's it's big this tsunami and you know multiple waves of tsunami it's like a tsunami comes and like you know the the, the waters recede and then a next one's you know the next next wave is coming it's not stopping it's going to get worse and worse and worse and so we're going to refrain from expounding more on verse 45 but it's for the sake of the body is strictly for the sake of the body, you see. And something also that needs to be said, you know, the, the frequency of ours, it could be the wrong time, you know, but it does come to mind at this particular juncture. The frequency of our studies, it's going to change right around the time we get to the book of Mark, right around the time we finish the book of Mark. You know, there's going to be a, a little shift. Uh, you know, the, the frequency of our studies, it's not going to be the regular Sunday, Wednesday. It's it's going to change. And, you know, there are certain preparations that are being made for the times in which we live. And so our studies, they're going to be less frequent. We're still going to have the resources available and, you know, the wayunderground.com and certain other platforms that we participate in. There's, there, there's going to be this presence, but there are preparations underway because the days are evil. The days are dark. And so understand, you know, that we have to be in remnant fellowships. Very important to understand. When we say jump ship, we say jump ship for a reason. Because God's judgment is coming, but God's judgment, it begins in the church. That's what the Bible says. God's judgment begins in the church. You see? So let's continue our study here in verse 46. Then Saul returned from the per, returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. Now, remember the, the words of old man Moses. Where old man Moses in Deuteronomy says, hey, you're going to enter the promised land. But remember what he said? He said, it's not because you're awesome. Because you are a stiff-necked people. Remember what he said? He says, you're going to have these lands, but it's because of their wickedness. And we look at the Philistines. Remember Dagon of the Philistines? Understand that idolatry has an end. And old man Moses told the people, warned Israel, it's not because of you, it's because of their wickedness. And something we've seen already, and we're going to keep seeing in the Old Testament, is the ups and the downs of Israel. And we're going to even see moments where God is on the side of the oppressors of Israel. I mean, look at Moses. Look at Moses and look at Korah. Both of Israel, but who lives? Look at Achan and look at Rahab, one of Israel, one of Gentiles, who lives. You see, 
Old man Moses told the people, hey, it's not because you're awesome. It's because of their wickedness. Very important to understand. Because sometimes, you know, we have these conversations with non-believers and they're like, wow, you know, they look at the Old Testament. It's like, wow, God is so vengeful. He's so mean. But then when you see and understand, wait a second, the door is open. The door is open. But look at, look at uh, 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 Jethro. You see? Look at Rahab. The door is open. You and me, remember the example we gave several chapters ago where you and me were uh, 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 tradesmen of the Philistines? Tradesmen of the Philistines and we're going town to town and selling our goods and here we are, tradesmen of the Philistines. And in the course of time, we start to hear certain things, the things that are happening with Israel and the camp of Israel and the Hebrew people. And all of a sudden, you and me, we come to the conclusion like, you know, yeah, we have... Dagon, we have Dagon, but he's nothing. He's nothing compared to the God of the Hebrew people, the God of the Jews. And so when you and me say, you know what? We reject Dagon. We reject the, these, these ways. We reject, you know, we didn't know it to be idolatry, but, you know, now that we're learning and we see, it's like, hey, that's, uh, that's idolatry. That yes, you know, Dagon has his power, but he's not almighty. We want to worship the Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the God of the Hebrew people. And so you and me were tradesmen of the Philistines, and we deny the old ways. We're not, we're not Jewish. We're Philistines. We deny the, the ways of the Philistines. We deny the worship of Dagon. We deny the worship of idols. And then we go to the camp. We approach the camp of Israel. We approach, we're not Jewish. We're not the Hebrew people. We approach the camp, and in the law of the Hebrew people, it is written, you know, hey, don't, don't kill these people. You know, don't kill us. You know, you're these sojourners that you see, don't kill them. It is written in the law, don't kill them. And so you and me, we approach the camp of Israel. Now we're met by warriors because it's like we're met by the fighters because they don't know, they don't know what's up. You know, they don't know. And then we tell them, you know, they, they tell us, you know, what's your business here? And, you know, we tell them, hey, you know, we're, we're Philistines and, you know, we have our ways, we're accustomed to our ways and... We worship Dagon, but he's nothing, and we want to worship your God. We want to worship the God of Israel. We want to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We want to worship the God of the Hebrew people, because he's most high. And in the law, it is written, number one, don't kill us. Number two, welcome them. Welcome you and me. You see? And then we become grafted into the camp of Israel to worship the Most High God. You see? Very important to understand. When old man Moses says, hey, you're going to enter these lands, but hey, it's not because you're awesome, because you are a stiff-necked people. It's because of the wickedness of these people. You see? And we're going to see these ups and downs of Israel. And sometimes when I have these conversations with non-believers, it's like, well, God is so mean. You know, how could he do this to, you know, the, the, the Philistines? How could he do this to the Moabites? How could he do all these things? Well, understand, it's because of the wickedness. That's why. It's because of the wickedness. Now, is the wickedness reserved to the Philistines? No, because we see the wickedness in Israel as well. And the Lord responds. And the door is open. Just like the example we gave. You and me, we're, we're Philistines and, hey, the door is open. It's not like, hey, we go, we approach the camp of Israel and, you know, we get a, an arrow in the chest. No, we approach the camp of Israel and the law says, don't kill them. You know, find out their business. You know, we're, we're here to worship your God and 
open, you know, the doors open. Very important to understand. Verse 48, and he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jeshui, and Malkishua. And the names of his two daughters were these, the names of the firstborn, Merab, and the names of the younger, Michal. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any stronger man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. Remember what Samuel the prophet warned? Remember what Samuel warned? You want a king? This is what he's going to do to you. And the people were adamant. Give us a king. Give us a king. And okay, the Lord told Samuel, remember, you know, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. Give them warning and give them their king. You see? And before God was king. And then we see it replaced by Samuel. When, or by Saul, we see the king replaced by Saul. And the Lord told Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Give them their king. And then we see, we're going to see the introduction of King David. King David, a, 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 a precursory a type of Messiah. And we see fulfillment in the son of David, son of man, son of God. And God as king. To this day, it's a pending event as taught by the prophets, as told by the prophets, as written by the prophets. It's a pending event according to the flesh. It's a pending event. But for the present believer, the Lord, he's already our king. And it's Jesus. You see? To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.